not only the potential degradation of the quality of territorial decisions, that is one issue with it, but there's many others. For instance, if it's too open, anyone can acquire and participate in the actual curatorial decision. You got to be careful that people aren't going to hijack the process to acquire, you know, their own arts or art of their friends, right? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi, everyone. I'm Sabertooth. Welcome to another episode of Floor is Rising. With me today is Kizu and our special guest today, Lucas Pontius. Uh, he's part of Fingerprint Style. Uh, part of Rawdow, um, several other collector DAOs that I'm sure we'll talk about during this interview. Lucas, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, nice to meet you guys, and I'm glad to be here. Lucas, tell us, how did you get into NFTs? Um, well, I haven't been that uh, long in NFTs, to be honest. Uh, the way uh, we everything started, uh, it actually goes way back to around 2013 when uh, I was working in uh, Goldman Sachs and a friend of mine as well, which is Luis, who is the guy who founded Fingerprints DAO. We are good friends and become good friends back then. And uh, ever since uh, he eventually got into working at a, uh, he founded a crypto NFT, a crypto fund and started working in crypto in general. And I went another way. I started uh, my own, uh, uh, letter goods brand here uh, in Brazil, which is where I'm from and where he's from as well. And uh, as the crypto fund grew and he got more and more involved in crypto and I was close to him and I also kept track of it because I also loved uh, all things crypto as well. Uh, as soon as the NFT craze started, he got really into it and uh, he started collecting and telling me all about it. And I was like, what NFTs? Uh, for art, wow, that's interesting. And I just, you know, kept taking a look at it, but I never, I didn't have that much money to start collecting. I also was a little bit uh, puzzled by everything, but it, uh, I didn't invest too much time into it. I just kept looking at the art, and I was like, well, this is kind of cool, but also a little bit expensive, <laughs> you know, uh, especially with all the uh, the transaction fees and so on. And uh, I never got around to actually collecting anything because I was just a little bit uh, risk averse, I guess. But he got knee deep into it and uh, uh, get her with some friends and investors from Brazil and started an autoglyph collection back in early 2021. And that's when fingerprints started. It grew from it. And after a few months, as fingerprints, you know, sort of got a little bit out of proportion, a little bit out of hand, and he needed some help. Uh, with managing the entire thing. Uh, and at the same time, I was looking for a job uh, in, uh, you know, a remote job or anything really involving programming because I had just started programming in my spare time and uh, had uh, more time because I had, through that, automated most of the work that I had in my own uh, uh, business. And then he asked me, he invited me to start helping him in fingerprints. That's when I really got into it, even though I was already aware of it for a while. Uh, 
uh, once I started working in fingerprints and now it's my full-time job and it's what I do uh, uh, with most of my time. Now I am really, you know, got a few NFTs of my own and uh, been looking and reading through it. And, and yeah, it's all, all I do right now. So, so tell us what, what is fingerprints now? And then also maybe you can explain what is your, I guess, um, role in fingerprints now. Yeah. So fingerprints now started as this big collection of autoglyphs, uh, back in early 2021, just a lot of people joined, uh, and created this, uh, uh, it was mostly it looks it, it resembled mostly an art fund back then but it quickly evolved into a DAO with an ERC20 token of its own which was uh which is called prints and then uh more and more people got attracted to it uh the collection grew past autoglyphs uh we eventually got around to collecting more and more stuff which was also uh very focused in artistic substance and the use of blockchain in creative ways and so on. And then the uh, sort of structure had to be created to support this collection and these activities of this newly created DAO as it grew and as Autoglyphs began uh, appreciating in value as well. And uh, yeah, that's when I joined, when it was uh, uh, in the middle of 2021. And then we uh, sort of created the organization around it, you know, created areas, created uh, a marketing area, an area focused in curation, area focused in uh, uh, community management, uh, finance, all these things that are needed to support the organization. And we've been since trying to do it in a way that's, you know, respectful to the values of Adele, right? Uh, being as decentralized as possible and so on. And all these things are very tricky, the governance details and the intricacies on how you're going to implement, how you're going to do the organization, how people are going to get compensated. These are the things that I have been mostly focused on ever since I joined. And I've also been executing lots of, you know, smaller things and operational work as well. Um, and uh, But mostly been focused on governance and studying and trying to figure out what is the best way to organize people and resources in this new kind of uh, space, which is Web three, and which is which is you know uh, uh, seasoned with all of these expectations of disruption, right? With the disruption of the traditional business like things, you know, and trying to square these with also delivering the performance that is expected for an organization like Fingerprints that you know wants to expand its collection wants to tell the story of its collections uh, wants to you know deliver more value to its community and so on and and i've been in the intersection of all of these things a collector dao um like fingerprint started with sort of a collection of sort of autoglyphs um on the surface doesn't seem to need a lot of kind of services or or additional kind of functionality, but it seems like, you know, fingerprints has sort of grown to, to an extent where uh, I guess a, a lot is expected of, um, of, of the DAO. So can, can you maybe talk us through like, um, what exactly is the aim of the DAO such that 
you know, um, yourself is full-time employed and, and various members of the DAO are sort of aiming towards something like what is that something that um, people in the DAO are um, pursuing as a, as a goal? Yeah, that, I'd say that that is perhaps the biggest issue with collector DAOs is that there isn't a, a very clear business model right and how they can operate but i feel like fingerprints has uh gone to a point where uh it's um in a quite it, it, it's comfortably and, and somewhat sustainable as well the way it works it, it it was it's not like it was uh predetermined from the get-go like it there wasn't it wasn't all planned from the get-go as fingerprints launched it was uh, uh in the early days was just a bunch of people gathering their resources and collecting art that was very expensive and that's pretty much it. That was the purpose of it. Uh, but as time passed and as the Fingerprints brand became more prominent and people, you know, recognize it as a beacon of uh, uh, curatorial expertise. And as it began attracting more and more uh, notable members to it and the community grew, it started becoming this hotspot for, uh, you know, people getting together getting to know each other, talking about art and, and doing the curatorial activity. The brand sort of naturally become, became very well known and very recognized in this new NFT art market. And that's a very important thing in any art market as we've come to realize. And that has allowed Fingerprints uh, by virtue of its brand to launch successful drops of NFT art and through that generate revenue. So that is the current working business model that we have, and that has been successful. We have, uh, you know, been generating profit for a while now, and uh, now the discussions around, you know, the long-term purpose of fingerprints have been happening uh, around this and how we can improve this model. Right? How can we further uh, establish the fingerprints brand? How can we make it clearer to everyone? How can we make sure that everyone? Uh, sees and understands fingerprints as we want it to be seen and understood. Uh, you know, what is exactly the attributes of the brand that we are trying to foster? And through that, how can we launch more products? How can we launch more art? How can we do more for our community as well? So these are somewhat parallel models, right? There's the membership value proposition for fingerprints members who it's sort of like a club you know, that you join and you get to know and talk to all of these artists, you get to know and talk to all of these members, you get to go to some events of fingerprints, you got some perks. And there's also the proposition of us uh, selling art in partnership with great artists. And then if you are a collector and you want to have a nice collection, rather than just going and sifting through the fast expense of the NFT art market by your own, you can just, you know, follow fingerprints, uh, go to our website, go to our Twitter, go to our Discord, uh, keep track of the drops that we're launching. You can be pretty sure that it's going to be something good because, you know, we got all of these great curators inside of Fingerprints who are doing the work of figuring out what art is most valuable, what art is going to be most valuable in the long run, what is interesting, what it has substance to it. That is a tricky problem that collectors have in any art market, right? And so that is sort of the solution that Fingerprints is selling, you know? So formerly art was very much um, um, something that was, you know, basically rich people, um, individual patronage. A lot of the art 
um, market and, and the kind of uh, the artists basically were supported by individual powerful collectors, right? With, with, um, with the power to dictate taste and things like that. And now we're seeing that that's um, kind of being broken down at a more granular level. So you have uh, DAOs like yours, your own, which come together and, and decide in, in a more community focused way, I think, uh, you know, what, what value art is. And, and my question is really about um, whether you see uh, the value more in the organization of that DAO as a, as a way of interacting and, and collecting art, or do you see more value in the actual, um, the art itself? Yeah, I'd say that they're probably quite equally important. Uh, uh, one thing that is clear in the traditional art market and is also clear in the NFT art market is that as art has become more and more subjective, uh, people have come to rely on you know experts to figure out and to, to signal to the market what is most valuable, right? And in the traditional art market, that is extremely concentrated. Uh, in the NFT art market, through the DAO model, it you know holds the promise to have to be something that is more uh, community based, such as fingerprints, and especially in raw DAO. And in raw DAO, there is a more decentralized curatorial system in place, which is quite interesting. Uh, basically, all the members and anyone can become a member of raw DAO through the acquisition of. 500 raw tokens can just join the community. Oh, and by the way, raw DAO is a NFT photography focused DAO. So it only act, it only acquires and it only operates in the NFT photography uh, market niche. Uh, and so the way the curatorial system over there at raw DAO works is that all members gather every month. And uh, at the beginning of each month, there's a nominations week and all members can nominate uh, artworks and then uh, the, we get up to 20 nominations and then we have two weeks of discussions and arguments and you know voting we get our votes from all members off on, on these 20 collections and then we acquire the top three collections at the end of the month so that is a very novel and decentralized way to do curation uh, fingerprints is not quite as uh, engaging of the community in its curatorial model as is, but we intend to have it be more decentralized, more participative in, in the future. Uh, as for the art itself, it's not like the art is irrelevant, you know? Uh, as much as people rely on experts, you can't just say anything is art, you know? Uh, and Fingerprints is extremely aware of that, and I'd say that it's perhaps the most aware and the most cautious DAO when it comes to artistic substance that there is. And so pretty much everything that Fingerprints chooses to acquire uh, has been extremely analyzed and talked about and uh, discussed in the curatorial committee, which is the main uh, mechanism through which Fingerprints chooses what to acquire. Uh, that curatorial committee is, uh, you know, consists of very prominent collectors in Fingerprints. And they are uh, constantly talking to you know traditional artists. They're talking to NFT artists, and they're analyzing, looking at uh, uh, whether an artwork should be acquired or not, and going through the substance of it, going through the innovation of it, going through what makes it different, what makes it significant, what makes it you know uh, worthy of being acquired. And uh, that is why fingerprints acquires 
uh, so rarely, you know, it's, it's, it takes a few months for any acquisition to be made in fingerprints. Uh, it, it acquires a lot less often than raw now does. You know, it's the, the curatorial bar for fingerprints is extremely high. And I feel like that is one of the main attributes of fingerprints now and that people relate to it. And so, yeah, being very careful of artistic substances just as important as the DAO model. Lee, I was wondering if you could, could you share uh, maybe a, an episode where you found that, you know, the openness does kind of lead to a certain sacrifice in, in competency of curation, if you care to share it with us? Yes, uh, there's many other issues, not only the potential degradation of the, the quality of curatorial decisions, that is one uh, issue with it, but there's many others, for instance, if it's too open, uh, anyone can acquire and uh, participate in the actual curatorial decision. You gotta be uh, careful that people aren't going to hijack the process to acquire you know, their own arts or art of their friends, right? So there's many robustness issues around this decentralization that need to be addressed. And that requires, uh, for lack of a better word, legislation, right? It requires rules uh, and some sort of enforcement as well, you know? Uh, if the curatorial process is entirely open, you got to make sure that there isn't a way that people can go into it and sway it to their will, you know? And so uh, the, you also got to take care, uh, uh, be careful with front running, because if the entire curatorial process is decentralized and open, people can anticipate that decisions acquired the artwork before you do to the curatorial system right now to have some minor tweaks to make sure that it's fair and to make sure that it's more robust and, and uh, safe from manipulation. But uh, thus far, I feel like most of the curatorial decisions made in raw DAO were really very good in the decentralized model. Uh, and um, But it's also tricky because, you know, we still we, there's still some apprehension around giving a large budget to a decentralized curatorial model, you know? And uh, it really depends on the community and the, and the makeup of that community that is currently voting, you know? Um, it's, it's very tricky. There, there can be many factions in FT photography, for example, there are many factions in FT photography with competing interests. And uh, it's very hard to, to do a uh, fair, unbiased uh, uh, and balanced collection of opinions and voting and curatorial decisions in such a uh, uh, perhaps fragmented community. And um, th these are some of the issues around that. The decisions it's themselves haven't been too bad, but they also haven't been, you know, major acquisitions yet. It's been only, it's been running since March. So we're at currently at the fourth iteration of the decentralized curation system in Rodau. And uh, it, it, I feel like it has been better than expectations. So is, well, is fingerprint style exclusively dedicated to sort of Ethereum or, or does it acquire uh, works from, from outside of the, the Ethereum ecosystem? Um, so far, both fingerprints and Radau have only acquired works in Ethereum. There aren't any plans right now to acquire from other chains. But we perhaps the next chain in which we will be acquiring artwork is the real world. Yeah, that there is, there have been discussions of acquiring artwork from the traditional arts world. 
another question in, in terms of the actual thesis uh, for fingerprint style, because, you know, it's very famous for being, um, I guess, you know, extremely pro sort of on chain, right. In, in, in your um, sort of thesis of fingerprint style, it kind of divides NFTs into kind of three categories and it sort of really, really falls on the side of, you know, being fully, fully on chain in the sense that, you know, uh, it, you know everything about the the art is is kind of fully on chain, and I'm wondering how you feel about this thesis, and you know what's I guess I guess coming in the in the in the crypto world, right? Because the, this the, the current challenge with on chain and and why sort of on chain is such a challenge and, and why it's kind of valued is because especially on Ethereum. Um, sort of on-chain storage, on-chain computation, therefore making sort of fully on-chain art is very, very challenging, both technically and, uh, you know, expensive, basically, uh, because, you know, storage and computation is such a rare commodity on the mainnet. Um, but as we sort of go into a sort of an L2 world, um, when Ethereum goes to proof of stake and, you know, L2s become sort of more popular, um, and, and L2s where computation becomes more, uh, becomes cheaper and storage becomes cheaper, whether this on-chain thesis on fingerprints now still kind of holds. Uh, I'm interested to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, i just like to do a caveat and say that I'm not the most qualified person inside of fingerprints to talk about our curator strategy. That will be Sam Spike which is the person that kind of leads the, the, the curation aspect of fingerprints right now. But as for the on-chain thesis, the, uh, if I were to say, and I might not be entirely precise in how I'm going to describe the curatorial strategy of fingerprints, but I feel like it is not exactly on the on-chain is, which is the most important aspect of it. I feel like it's more like, what art is enabled by the blockchain? What art is possible and unique given the existence of this new technology that is the Ethereum smart chain that wasn't possible before and uh, that has its manifestation be a unique and uh, a, a very remarkable execution of artwork that uses that utilizes the blockchain in a way that is truly novel, truly unique, truly innovative. And uh, it happens that lots of these are on chain uh, because, you know, just using this, doing pointers art doesn't really, is not a way to utilize the blockchain in an original and novel and remarkable way, right? And so a preference towards own chain, there is a certain preference towards own chain work in fingerprints, but it's not just about being on chain because there's lots of, you know, on chain art that isn't that remarkable or that innovative given that it has been done in the past, right? And so I'd say that it's a little bit more nuanced than merely being on-chain and off-chain. Okay, so, so you're saying that the, the, um, the, the on-chain component is important in so far as it's medium native, but you're sort of, you're saying that there's a possibility that uh, there could be NFT works or, you know, crypto art that is medium native, but that might not necessarily fit the criteria of on-chain and that, that you know, fingerprints would still consider it. Would, would, would that kind of be a, a summary of, of, of what, you, what you just said? 
Yeah, I can't really conjure up an example of that, but if if that eventually shows up and it exists, and then yes, yeah, anything that is truly remarkable and has artistic substance and is truly unique and utilizes the blockchain as the sort of medium of expression of art is going to be considered. Yeah, I don't see why not. So I was wondering what kinds of photography and, and why has the DAO decided that, you know, this is the photography that that matters, so to speak. Yeah, the 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 impact of the NFT market and the NFTR market to photography, uh, they're they're mostly been as of a way of granting digital scarcity to the arts that was previously, you know, digital art was printed and sold as editions and so on. The bigger impact has been mostly in this sort of commercial uh, infrastructure that wasn't possible before. Uh, whereas the art itself that is being created and sold is, it, it has a rich tradition from the photography uh, art world that it has existed for quite a while now. And so it's it's been mostly, you know, there's uh, there's been a lots of, uh, artworks, photographic artworks that already existed prior to the to the NFT uh, market being being created and being made available to the artists that has just been ported and sold, right, in the NFT photography market, and that already has that there's a, already a certain consensus on what is great art within NFT photography, and there has been differences to what has appreciated in value and been deemed worthy in the NFT photography market. And it's uh, different from the traditional one, mostly because the collectors that are currently driving sales in the NFT market are uh, very different from the collectors that are driving sales in the traditional art market. And so there are differences in, in preferences. What are those differences and what is deemed valuable by raw for acquisition? It's hard to say. We uh, are mostly, you know, a photography, a, a curatorial photography now. And so we acquired the great works that have been already been launched to success and have been appreciated quite a lot in the NFT photography. We own lots of those. And, uh, but as regards to what we look into to acquire an artwork, to be honest, each member in Rawdow looks that has their own sets of criteria that they use to decide whether or not something is worth worthy of being acquired. And what Rawdow does is trust the assessments of our, its members, and then you know average it out and acquire through the community curation system. So Rawdow itself doesn't have a formal uh, criteria for acquisition. It is just the expression of all its members. You know, and uh, there was some sort of direction in the past. If you go back to the original proposal for community curation, it states that the main objective of the curatorial process is to select for artworks that are innovative, have artistic substance, relevance, and depth, that engage with other communities, uh, that produce virtual social impact, which is something that is very important in NFT photography, uh, you know, improving inclusivity and diversity. Uh, and that are likely to withstand the test of time as opposed to being trendy and shallow. These are, I feel like this is a, a, a nice description of the way that Rawdown members think, but really each, each individual member has its own criteria for what they believe is great art and what isn't. And it even generates uh, fierce arguments within the DAO itself. 
photography um, has kind of been in the contemporary art space for for decades, right? And 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 the curatorial process for photography is is relatively mature in the contemporary art space. Um, so photography on chain or, or photography NFTs, um, do you see that as basically, you know, the curatorial process and what is good and what is not and what what is popular and what is not? Do you see this as just basically being an extension of just photography, but but basically as NFTs, or do you see it as photography NFTs as being kind of fundamentally different than photography? not as an nfts and and does this mean that um the 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 function of raw and 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 photography on nfts is merely as a as kind of like a surfacing mechanism meaning you know uh like for example let's take the most famous uh, uh nft photographer which is justin alvesano um you know some people say, well, NFTs kind of surfaced him, right? He, 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 prior to NFTs, he wasn't really that well known. His stuff certainly didn't sell for as much as he has done in, in NFTs. And he, he's, he's kind of really shot to prominence um, in that sense. But, um, but some people will say that the, the role of photography NFTs is merely to surface him as a talent, right? But the broader, sort of category of photography is basically the same, no matter if it's on uh, NFTs or whether it's, you know, in a gallery, everything is just photography. And uh, would you agree with that? Well, it, they're definitely not the same. Definitely. Uh, okay. Yeah, the, the, the NFT photography market uh, and the way taste making works at it, I mean, the entire market is extremely recent. And so the same institutions that are doing the curatorial activity in the traditional NFT photography market, they're really not present in this new market. And uh, so well, what do you do? You still need to do curatorial uh, work, right? In this new market. That is the point of RawDAO, uh, to be honest. The point of RawDAO is to solve this problem of figuring out what is valuable and what is in this new market. Right. And that's why it's, you know, it's community has, you know, Justin Everseno is one of the founding artists of Rodeo. And we got other, I think, 15, around 15 founding artists. And we also have, you know, big collectors and got people who aren't neither collectors or uh, uh, artists themselves, but are super interested and uh, are working in Rodeo too. And they have their own opinions of what is valid and what isn't. And uh, this, this taste making exercise. In NFT photography, there isn't a place that is being where that is being done in a more unbiased and comprehensive way than Rodell. And that is the purpose of it, to do this taste making in NFT photography, because it clearly uh, isn't being done. And it's not quite the same as what is done in the traditional NF, uh, photography market, because, well, the collectors who are dictating and driving these price movements in the NFT photography market aren't exactly the same collectors of traditional photography. They have different preferences. That by itself is already a reason for, you know, different uh, consensus on what is valuable. It's different people doing the consensus. And so, you know, uh, there's the, the, the taste makers are also different. Like it's Rodao and it's Obscura and it's other 
uh, it's quantum and so on. It's not the traditional, it's not say MoMA, it's not uh, other you know modern art museums or photography galleries and they're not present uh, mostly in, in this new market. And so that makes the dynamic be very different. It doesn't mean that it's completely detached from traditional photography. Uh, it is definitely informed by it, but it's it's truly uh, it's truly very uh, somewhat uncorrelated. Like it's all, it's its own thing. It's its own thing. Do you think it'll continue to be its own thing, or do you think it'll converge at some point? Well, that is really dependent on the makeup of the collecting base for the NFT market. Uh, if it suddenly gets uh, flooded with traditional art collectors, then it might converge. Uh, if we remain with a significant portion of it being people who weren't collecting any art before and are now collecting NFT art, which I think is very likely because there are lots of people who suddenly became very rich with cryptocurrency and who are very likely to use that money to acquire NFT art rather than you know, traditional art. And these are just new people and they're likely to remain wealthy, especially if crypto keeps you know, growing as an ecosystem then I think it's very likely that this market will remain uncorrelated or just not at perfectly correlated with the traditional art market. For you, Lucas, is who is your favorite artist? I think it's Death Beef. I really like the way he is super innovative with his art and the way it's super technical and hard and you, you couldn't copy that in a million years unless you started learning all the things that you need and all the technical abilities that enable the execution of the art. And it's super interesting. Um, but in general, uh, I'm a, uh, I feel like the main artistic expression that moves me is music. And um, well, if I had to pick one artist from all time, it'd probably be I don't know, Beethoven <laughs> or something like that. Cool. We've never had someone mention Beethoven as a favorite artist, but it kind of makes sense. Um, uh, all right, Lucas, um, thank you for joining us on this episode of Floys Rising. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow. And give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising. <laughs>